Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi. Hello. Hey, everybody. Welcome. This is Barca Talk. I am Brian Henderson, one of your hosts. I'm coming to you, as usual, from Buffalo, New York. And joining me from back in his home in Madrid, Spain, is... Gabriel Quiroga. Brian, Brian, my Barca brother from a different mother uh, and fellow Kules, uh, welcome to the show. It is good to be back in Madrid, uh, back home in the studio here, quote unquote studio of my apartment. Um, how are you doing? I'm doing well. It's been actually it feels like it's been an incredibly long week. And I think partially that's because for me, at least it's because uh, there were two games this week and it's like like on Monday, you know, I'm thinking all about like Dembele's injury and that whole situation. And the, but then next thing you know, there's another match, and it's not like we forgot about him, but you know, we have other things, more pressing things to think about. And then just like four days later, another match. Meanwhile, you know, school for me is is really in swing, and uh, I have I have a, a piece of music that I have to write. Uh, very quickly and very soon. Um, it doesn't have to be like a particular length or com- or level of complexity, but it's uh, you know I like to I like to swing for the fences when I write a new piece. So, <laughs> so I'm yeah. I'm already just like inundated with schoolwork and PhD work and that kind of garbage. <laughs> gotcha. No, so basically, no rest for the weary is what you're no rest me. for for you and for Barca. No, yeah, exactly. Like they had a double. I feel like I've had a a triple it's yeah this week feels like it's been two weeks long how was your flight back well it's the same thing i lost a day so like september 19th didn't exist in my life so i I basically lost that day i flew from san francisco all the way to barcelona uh no problems but you know just the jet lag of just going through that but uh you know it's good to be back in madrid um getting back into the routine of things uh i start school on the first of october and like you said, it was just a busy week as well. So I had, you know, I was watching the match, uh, the Ibar match. And then last night I watched the match as well. So, you know, this is the time of the year, especially um, getting in the full swing of La Liga two times a week. Uh, I like it, but also it's just, you know, now that we're doing this podcast, it's, you know, we got to watch these games. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot. So like your school, are you are you teaching like adults or like children or is it a private no, school? So, no, so it's a public school. I teach uh um, younger children, so second grade to sixth grade. Oh, so I'm, yeah, yeah. So it it has its moments, you know, some good days, and then there's some days where I never want to have children. So right. it it just depends on the day. So do they have like a special name for you? Do they call you like? 
Senor Gabriel? Um, no, not really. They just call me Gabriel. Oh. Uh, yeah, just the English teacher. That's about yeah, it. Cause... They know me as the as the Barca fan as well. So most of my students are Real Madrid fans. So anytime when there is a match or if Barca lose, they'll definitely give me shit oh, for sure. Oh, yeah, totally. Even second yeah. graders will, <laughs> will yeah, come in there exactly. with their like, but... little jerseys on, their little Ronaldo jerseys, gloating about some win or something. Oh, yeah, especially um, last year, especially my sixth grade, there was two kids who were super Real Madrid fans, and um, I taught them the throat slash maneuver. I don't know if you, you know, like in American football, you do the throat slash. Oh, yeah. uh, and I remember one time, like, Barca, oh, the, the last Classico, when Barca beat, you know, Madrid, I came into class and I gave them a throat slash, and then obviously the kids gave me a throat slash when they won La Liga and Champions League. So, if anything that I taught them was a throat slash. Yeah, well, maybe <laughs> when you come in this uh, this on the, in, like, the first class, you could just, like walk in silently and on the board just draw a little betis logo <laughs> and then one nil exactly one zero <laughs> exactly yeah because these kids are crazy for madrid man they have the pencil the pencil case the lunchbox you know the backpack everything is real madrid it's crazy so uh you know it's just that kind of uh, uh devotion to a terrible team <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean that's that's marketing, right? It it just it just gets into your your blood like at a young age, you know. Like I, because you know, I lived in San Francisco for like ten years, but I grew up in Southern California, kind of in the L.A. area. Like my grandma is like L.A. Dodgers all the way. She watches nothing but the Dodgers channel all day long now. And like when I was a kid, uh, they have this. Um, this like fan club for kids called the blue crew. They had little koala as their mascot. And you like, you join the blue crew and they send you this little package with, yeah, like a pencil holder and some pencils and it's all Dodger branded. And it's just, you know, it gets, it's the same kind of tactic that the uh, cigarette industry uses to, or used to use to appeal to children and they get you young and then you're in for life and you're hooked. Right. So, uh, you know, Barcelona is definitely guilty of this as well. So, uh, obviously, um, you know, they do it as well, and, and the kids are just as devoted in Catalonia and Barcelona. Yeah, and ultimately, like, I feel like that's what so much of sports is is about. You know, we're adults here talking about sports, but the reason we even have a podcast like this and the reason we care so much about sports is, I think, on some level, like, it always just makes us feel like kids again. Every time I, you know, when I watch football, I always put myself in position of the game of different situations because when I played um, you know, my dream was to be a professional football player. And so when I watch, you know, it always reminds me of those Saturday afternoons, uh, oranges at halftime, um, scoring goals and just playing with my friends. You know, it was such an easier time back then. You know, I didn't have bills to pay. Uh, you know, all, all it was was uh, playing football on Saturday. And am I going to go to my friend's house to spend the night or is he coming over to my house to spend the night to play? You know, that's basically my life decision at those moments. So, yeah, it definitely brings you back to your childhood and how great it was. You know, I think my only happy memory of playing soccer as a child is the orange wedges. <laughs> Being on the field was a complete nightmare for me. <laughs> Cuz I'm well, like, I just remember I'm like I'm kind of a I'm a guy who likes to I sort of I just want to know what to do and where to go and where to be. And that's what's so crazy. That's also what I find so interesting about football/soccer nowadays is is that I can, you know, now as an adult, I can look at the whole thing and see there's this really interesting beauty about the simplicity of the game and how the field of play is this giant open space, right? And the actual field of play is then defined by by the players, actually, and how much space they're occupying and 
how they're like they actually shift the boundaries of the game and so like now i'm sort of an artist by by trade that's my that's my training so i think a lot about art and and beauty and aesthetics and there's actually a real like aesthetic beauty to that whole thing about how it actually all shifts through time but when you're like seven eight years old and you're me and you just want to like know what the hell is going on it's a nightmare i was just standing there and as i think i was a like a center back, but it's not like I did anything. I just sort of stood there looking around like, do I, do I, what? And then I would just start <laughs> crying because I was like one of those really weirdly sensitive kids. And it turns out I'm still a weirdly sensitive adult. <laughs> well, one of, one of my uh, memories when I played was uh, my mother used to always be away from the other parents. And since I played forward, she was always kind of like equal with the linesman. And man, she was such a ball breaker, not to the linesman, <laughs> But to me, oh, you know, really? she'd always be like, yeah, she'd just be screaming on the sidelines, hustle, hustle, get the ball, hustle. <laughs> That's all I heard for like six years of my life playing football when I was a kid, when, you know, when I was developing. I just, I still have nightmares. We still talk about it. My friends always talk about it. They're like, hustle, Gabriel, hustle, because that's how my mom would say it. Right. So, uh, you know, I definitely remember, you know, scoring a lot of goals and having a lot of fun, but also just the constant uh, chanting of my own mother trying to to ball break me to like score even more goals. So yeah. So that was my, uh, AYSO soccer memories. What, what about your dad? Was, was he involved in any of this or is he just yeah, like so back my, with the rest of the parents? Just like, I don't know no, about so, her. So my, yeah. So my dad was the coach. So he was more, uh, involved with the game, but he was also managing everything else. My dad took it very, very seriously. He was a good coach. Uh, especially at the beginning, because he had the ability to relate to the kids, especially the kids that weren't very good, to actually make them play and to actually, we, you know, when he was coaching, we did pretty well. So I give my dad a lot of credit. He taught me a lot. And uh, but my mom, my gosh, she was just like she would just always heckle me. You know, and, <laughs> and I was just like, Mom, come on, give me some support. You know. <laughs> How about after the game? Was she at least like, or was she still just on your balls? <laughs> Well, it's funny because after the game, my parents would just dissect my whole playing, you know, and I, and they would just be like, my dad would be like, you know, you had a couple times, you could have scored more goals, you could have done this pass, if you just ran some more, and my mom's like, yeah, if you would have hustled, and I'm just like, wow, okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I, I so, think yeah. we, I think we might have found the title for this podcast, Hustle, <laughs> Hustle, Gabriel. There you go, there you go. it'll haunt my dreams tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Well, okay, so let's sort of like move into the the show proper. I mean, the first thing that I want to get into actually is is sort of like show plugging. So if if anyone wants to, you know, fast forward a couple of minutes, I that's fine. We we our feelings won't be terribly hurt. But uh, let me tell you. So I just uh, I know Gabriel, you are not an iPhone or Apple product user, but I just uh, I am. I'm an Apple guy, and I just uh, updated the I did the software update, and iOS 11 is. I mean, for me, I have a, a 6S. It's basically the same. But the podcast app is so much better. It's way better, especially for uh, leaving reviews for podcasts. You actually, like, it used to be this really cumbersome process. It was impossible to find how to even review a podcast on the Apple Podcast app. But now in this new um, iOS release, it's actually really easy. You just go to the podcast, whether it's in your library or in the store. And you just scroll down past the episodes, and there's the ratings. You can just—it's immediate. It's all on the same page. It's super easy. So, um, since that change has just happened, I figured this would be a good opportunity for us to put like a really serious call out to all our listeners 
to rate and review the podcast if you're an Apple user. I know we have a lot of uh, Android users, and we appreciate you a lot. But uh, for any of those uh, iPhone, Apple products users, uh, please give us a review in the uh, Apple Podcast app or iTunes store, however you want to think about it. And we're actually doing, we're going to do a giveaway. We're going to hold a drawing to give one listener a 12-month subscription to uh, FC Barcelona's premium videos. If you ever go to Barca's website, fcbarcelona.com, and you see their video section, you can sign up, you can pay some a little bit of money for a premium video subscription, and you get all the matches. You get all the Champions League matches like an hour after they're done. La Liga matches are available within like two days, and that has something to do with you know whatever contracts the club has with the uh, the league they have to wait a little bit longer but you could watch an entire season of barcelona games from like last year right now and tons of about well maybe not tons but an awful lot of classic matches like if you want to watch some classic match from like the 92 dream team they have that video and they have various special feature videos that are only available to people with this subscription yeah i had this two years ago uh my dad and i we shared it and it's pretty amazing you get all the video all the matches uh, they have some really good content, content that they put on Barca TV, which is really awesome. They have like these player profiles where you can see like uh, Terry Henry's, all his goals, like this type of thing. So it has really good, unique content. And of course, it's in really great quality as well. So definitely give us a rating or comment and enter the drawing and get this subscription. To enter this giveaway that we're running, just give us a review in the iTunes store and then maybe send us a, a note uh, via whatever channel you want, email, Twitter, DM, uh, just to let us know what your username was on your iTunes review. And then in two weeks, we're going to put all those together and we'll choose a winner totally at random. So even if you leave a not so great review, we're going to do this fairly. So you could still win this thing. So yeah, that's that's what we're going to be doing. So in two weeks, we're going to so we're going to talk about this next week again. We're going to promote that. We're going to be pushing this on social media, letting people know about it. Uh, but yeah, if you just leave us a review in the iTunes store, you could get a, a year subscription to FC Barcelona's premium video on us. Thanks in advance. Go ahead and and do that. Okay, now let's let's talk about Barcelona. And I think the first thing that we need to address, and it's again, it seems like it was so long ago. But uh, Dembele's injury, I mean, we talked about this last week because it happened in in the uh, Getafe match, but we didn't really know the extent of things. Uh, so it turns out that um, Dembele, the new signing, the new very expensive signing, uh, is going to be out for three to four months. Uh, he's already had a surgery, and I thought it was pretty funny how on social media it was blown up about the the surgeon the finnish surgeon that he was going to work on him he went to finland so obviously they're going to a really good guy if you're going to send your player to finland to get surgery this guy must be like the guy he's like the um i don't know if you know in the states there's the famous dr andrews who handles every professional athlete for knee operations in alabama so this finnish guy's the equivalent um when I first heard the news, I thought he was going to be out for like a month because I thought it was just, you know, a hamstring pull. But obviously it's been more. He actually uh, tore the tendon off the off the bone, which is pretty crazy. And um, yeah, so um, if anyone's had that type of injury, one time I, I tore my calf muscle. So and it was extremely painful when that happened. So I can't even imagine the tendon because that's just another level of pain. Um, but Val Green talked about in his press conference after 
um, about Dembele saying about he didn't know his body completely because there was a video that came out where in practice he injured it kind of and he was holding his thigh. And Val Green was t- kind of mentioning that uh, a, a more seasoned player would kind of know his body better. And so there's kind of two theories uh, going about that Barca rushed him too early or Dembele wasn't completely truthful. Obviously, it's going to be somewhere in the middle. Um, I think, you know, it's unfortunate he's going to be out for this long, for three to four months, um, especially, uh, you know, he just arrived to the team, just getting used to it. But I think it's also a good thing because now he can he can kind of get um, acclimated to Barcelona life, um, just kind of figure out what's going on, be in the film room, this type of thing. So we'll see um, what's going to happen, uh, how long he's going to come out. I also saw on social media he put out that he's going to be back in two months and i'm just like dembele easy buddy i know you want to play we want you to play but just get 100 percent healthy because we don't want you to miss the whole year yeah i mean and that's the that's the kind of thing that like yeah a player says when he's just trying to express like i really want to get back out on the field but the i mean the fact is he'll he'll be back when he gets back he'll be back when the club gives him the all clear the medical like go ahead that he's fit to play and it's probably going to be in the three to four month range. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the team is always going to make the the comeback time longer than it should be, right? Because that's, that's just how it is. But again, this is a tendon that ripped, right? So this is not just like a, a muscle pull or something where, you know, it just all depends on how quickly it heals and just what he can do. You know, you're, the, these players put a lot of of tension on their legs and their on their muscles and all these things, especially doing the moves that they do. So you definitely want him 100% before he comes back. It's basic customer service, right? You lower expectations so that you can exceed them. And so the the whole like three to four month uh, estimate, that's, that's exactly designed so that if he's back in two and a half or at the early side of three months, then we're all going to be super excited. Um, people, you know, there's, I was reading the paper and just listening to the other, uh, uh, Barcelona podcast about this. They were talking about this as well, about how people are saying, oh, two months, he's going to be back in two months. And it's like, you know, this is such, this is, you know, when you have a hamstring injury, this is a huge deal because this is the major muscle of your sprints. When you have a tendon like this, you know, you definitely need it to be 100%. Yeah, it's a very important tendon. We do hope Dembele a, a speedy, but mostly successful recovery. And uh, we look forward to seeing him back out on the pitch as soon as, as soon as he's fit. So let's talk about the progress with the, the censure effort. Um, so as of Saturday morning, Benedito says he's gathered about 10,000, a little more, I think, but about 10,000 signatures of a needed uh, 16,572 or something. I don't know, something like that in that range. Um, and he, the, this whole deadline is still a point of contention, right? The club still says the deadline is the 27th of September. Benedito still says, no, it's the 2nd of October. But if he doesn't have all the signatures by the 27th that he needs, but he does have them on the 2nd of October, here's what we can look forward to. We can look forward, and I'm using air quotes here. This is irony. I don't know if my irony is coming through. That we can look forward to some protracted legal battle over, like, it's going to wind up going to some court to decide. And the crazy thing about this is that, you know, the club, if they were just more specific in their, you know, bylaws or whatever about what a working day is, then this wouldn't even be an issue. But it's almost like they deliberately build in these ambiguities to just create chaos, 
I mean, it's not really chaos. It's it's but it's it's somewhere on the spectrum towards chaos. So that's what we would have to look forward to, you know. And it all just comes out to this deadline. I mean, for me, like how I would react to this is I would set the goal for the twenty seventh to get those signatures and then buffer in the second, right? So make all your effort to get to the twenty seventh. And then say, oh, yeah, but we, we're going to work till the second. And then you can also have that buffer, right? So that if Barcelona says, no, 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 it was the 27th, you said, all right, cool. I already have the signatures by the 27th. But that's not how that's not how it's going to go. I just want him to get the signatures, you know, obviously by the 27th. So he can just shake the board up, right? Just to give that sensation to the board that, you know, they need to react and they need to pay attention. I don't know if he's going to get it. We're going to know more tomorrow and, and the next day. You know, like we talked about, the, the same analogy with the Copa del Rey final, how they always wait till the last month for the stadium, the fixture. Just do it before when this process started. Just say, you have the second, no questions, you know, no questions. That's it. Then just do it. But yeah, that's not going to happen. And the big difference between September 27th and October 2nd is uh, one more home game. So on the 1st of October, um, they're going to be playing Las Palmas at the Camp Nou. So that's, I think, a big issue for him. But yeah, Benedito should really just be trying to get everything done by the 27th so so that he can avoid any conflict. But it's, I don't know, it's almost like he wants it. Yeah, exactly. And also, like, what we're going to talk about the next thing, uh, what's happening in Catalonia with the referendum. So with these, you know, the people of Barcelona have other things that they're worried about other than the board right now, you know, um, with this Catalonia independence refer- referendum t- uh, from Spain, you know. So, man, it's just a mess over there right now with with this whole referendum and also trying to get these signatures. Yeah, I don't think when he started this effort that he was anticipating that the that the situation, the, the political situation between Madrid and uh, Catalonia in general, but, you know, Barcelona specifically, would get to the the hot sort of degree that it's that it's at so he couldn't have anticipated that but yeah it's 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 now it's definitely not a good time so let's get into that let's talk about the this whole catalonian referendum situation because over the course of this week there were uh, 14 catalan officials were arrested and ballots were confiscated and thousands more police were sent into the region to try and quash this a referendum effort, which Madrid says is um, illegitimate anyway. I'm going to try to kind of dumb it down as much as possible. Um, I don't know every single thing about this because let alone I'm trying to uh, pay attention to U.S. politics as well, you know, so, you know, trying to focus on Spanish politics and, and this. So basically there's a couple things going on. They haven't done a census. And so with that, they don't know the actual number of, of votes that are possible, right? On top of that, um, not everyone agrees with the with the Catalonia independence, and that's another thing. The other thing, too, is that this is an illegal referendum, right? So they're just bringing this referendum, but it has, you know, there's steps that have to go first, and they're just bypassing that. The other thing, too, is people can vote multiple times. So, again, the numbers are a little bit uh, askew. So that's really what it comes down to. And obviously with these Catalan officials arrested, that just that just made the situation even more crazy, more uh, on fire, because now all the Catalans are resisting and protesting because of what happened. That's the other thing, too, is that it's it's not every Catalan is for this, you know, so that's where it also comes. You know, some people would say it's almost like a 50-50 split. So we're going to see what's happened. And I don't think, my personal opinion, I don't think they'll ever get independence because I just think it's such a big 
process that has to go through with this. And uh, so I don't see that happening in the foreseeable future, especially how, you know, with this referendum and how it's going, nothing is ever going to run smooth. Yeah. And I, I don't think it's ever going to happen um, peacefully, which is to say, like, I don't think it, that it's ever going to happen in through some political process. And I, I should say, I absolutely hate uh, war in every sense, because it doesn't actually do anybody any real good. Um, yeah, exactly. Well, that, I mean, it's it's more complicated than that. Yeah. It's it's a much more nuanced and complex than that. But basically, like I would never ever uh, advocate for for that kind of thing. Um, but and I think there is maybe at at times an argument for a just a just situation um, that might involve um, some kind of you know um, military activity. We don't want to see that, but you got to admit that this whole process, this whole political situation, there are just all kinds of shadows of the Spanish Civil War in there. I mean, I've been reading uh, this book about the Spanish Civil War uh, very slowly because it's not the most compelling read, but it's but it is fascinating to see how the political divisions that existed in the 30s are still present and they're still functioning. And it's just a, a question of like, are these people like, are they going to get that riled up? Is it gonna is it gonna reach that that level? I, I hope not. And but yeah, I, I I think you're right. It's there's no way that it's ever gonna happen as a political process. Yeah, I agree. And so I, you know, for me, it's really difficult to to empathize with this because I've never felt so strongly or passionate about something like as like an identity. Like I don't feel like I'm Californian or die. You know what I'm saying? So when I read about this, when I see it on the news and stuff, I, it, for me, it's really difficult to empathize because I just, I don't have those feelings. Um, but it's, it's certainly very, very strong in Catalonia. When I was there a couple weeks in Barcelona, they had a, um, they were handing out flags to put on everyone's balcony, which just said, see, si, you know, yes, uh, for independence. And it was just all over the city. So again, it's not, who knows what the actual percentage and that's what's the most difficult because you know with these protests with these um assemblies and all these things it's 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 basically the loudest voices are saying that everyone wants it but it's not true and so again like you said i don't think it's going to happen with political action hopefully it doesn't have a, a war with that but you never know what's going to happen yeah well what's the i mean you just got back to madrid a few days ago but what's the uh, what's the general sentiment that you're feeling in in madrid like yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, I would say it's very similar to the US, you know, everyone's on one side or the other kind of a thing. Um, you either uh, support Spain and the uh, freedom and the government and all this stuff, or you're for Bar Barcelona and that Catalonia independence. I have friends on both sides. So on my, for example, on my Facebook page, I see both opinions. And again, I'm trying to uh, focus on the U.S. politics thing because, you know, I'm an American and I, you know, what's going on there is just crazy as well. Um, so for me, I'm kind of just kind of have like my foot into the Spanish politics pool here. So I see it. I'm kind of reading about it, especially since we were going to talk about it, kind of read about it and just hearing from other um, uh, from reading newspapers and these type of things. But uh, yeah, it's just crazy. Uh, who knows what's going to happen again? You know, this happened last year as well. And then the year before that, they, they keep trying to, you know, get this independence and some more people and more people. But who knows what's going to happen? I hope those who were arrested get released and uh, I hope things cool down. Um, to bring it back into our club and the topic of our show, 
uh, the club, FC Barcelona, released a statement this week talking about these these events. And, you know, one of the sort of pillars or core values of the club has to do with Catalanism. And uh, they released this statement in response to these uh, these arrests, mainly. They didn't call those out specifically. They just said in the wake of the events that have transpired in recent days with regard to the current political situation in Catalonia. You know, they're trying to remain faithful to their their commitment to the defense of the nation, as, as they put it, to democracy, to freedom of speech and self-determination. So they publicly condemned any act that may impede the free exercise of, of these rights. And I got to say, like, at a point in time where the club is, I think, trying to appeal more to a global audience and they're really trying to make their brand more global. I mean, consider that on Tuesday... Uh, when they played Ibar, they all came out wearing uh, these shirts, these T-shirts that said Courage Dembele, which is nice. But like three, four, five years ago, that T-shirt would have been in Catalan, and now it's in English. It's saying Courage instead of Animes or whatever. Yeah, that's that's an interesting uh, point there. I mean, yeah, so they have a delicate line to, to dance because they need to you know show support for Catalans. But then also they don't want to rock the boat too much with the Spanish government. So... Um, they're thinking about their dollars and cents for the most part. Right. But uh, their base is uh, their 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 main fan base are Catalonians and probably mostly the ones who are sort of more pro independence because the uh, the anti independence. Uh, this is as I understand it. You know, I, I don't really know it too well, but as I understand it, the the ones who are a little more pro Madrid, a little anti Catalonian independence. Those are the Espanol fans. Yeah, you'd be correct. Yeah. Well, so we, we hope that we hope that sort of cools off and, and turns out for, for the best for everyone. My main thing is just I want everyone to be able to live in peace and, and freedom and to be able to speak their minds without, you know, fear of arrest and uh, and persecution. But let's get into some more, like, lighter lighter stuff uh, pertaining to our club. Um, you know, just when you thought that transfer rumors would be on hold for, for the time being, you know, the transfer windows have all closed. The season is going. We've got Champions League happening. We've got, you know, La Liga and everything is happening. Just when you think that there's no transfer talk afoot, the press, you know, they have to create content. But I did find this one interesting. So there's this transfer rumor now about Lucas Lima, uh, who's a Santos player currently in Brazil. There's a rumor that uh, Barcelona might be uh, bringing him in in January. And so, I again, I have never heard of this guy. I looked up a couple of highlight videos. And at least when he's at his best, in general, I'd say, you know, the guy has everything you'd look for in a Barca attacking midfielder. He has a good first touch. He's He is very good on the ball. He's inventive. He can pick out passes like the difficult-to-see passes. Uh, which is something that we look for, and he passes really accurately. But even though he fits that profile, I don't think he's like any kind of must-have at this moment. You know, he's 27, so he's not really going to continue to develop much more. He would just be a short-term solution. And we already have, what, like nine midfielders? Yeah, I have here in my notes, I don't like it. Actually, could I correct you for just a moment? I think you're saying... I don't like it. <laughs> exactly. I, I don't. I mean, this is again. We don't need to, like. We don't really need midfield or attacking players at the current moment. Like, I want us to develop some center backs. Like, that's what we should really look for. For example, Mark Bartra. Like, we should have kept him. 
Uh, I have here also, I miss your Musk, Mark Bartra, because I thought he um, definitely had the pedigree to be a Barca really center back. Um, he's still young. Uh, we could have developed him more. Um, I think we should put more of our effort to scout for a center back of the future as opposed to mid. I mean, we have in La Masia, we have midfielders coming through more often through there and more opportunities through there than center backs. Center backs are really hard to find, and that's what we should really try to focus our scouting to other clubs with players that are younger than 23 years old. And that's what we should be focusing. This guy, I mean, if he hasn't been to a bigger club already and he's on Santos, like he should have been at a bigger club at 24, then that kind of that kind of throws a red flag for me. Yeah, absolutely. And getting back to the whole center back thing, I mean, we have Umtiti right now, and he's fantastic, and he's young. So as long as we can hold on to him, then he can anchor the the center back pairing moving forward. But, you know, PK is getting on in years, and it's just a matter of time before he, you know, starts losing some steps and then eventually finds his way out. And we have Marlon Santos on loan right now, and he looks good. Uh, which is great, but yeah, we got what do we got? We got Mascherano, who's you know clearly just there to kind of help rotate the center backs a little bit. I mean, he's still solid, but you know he's thirty three now. He doesn't have much more time. So you're absolutely right. We get a we got to bolster the the whole center back uh, future. At least one more maybe young center back who we can keep developing and think just think think ahead a little bit. Exactly. Like I would be super super excited if all of a sudden. In the next uh, summer transfer window, we signed two center backs, one being a taller version, you know, like a PK, younger version of PK as in height, and then a quick kind of scat back like Mascherano that's physical and kind of good on the ball. I think exactly what you just said. We need to look to the future and obviously get those uh, players at a good cost. So we have to, you know, see that potential sign them for maybe 10 to 15 euro 15 million euros or something like that and develop them and get them to be a Barcelona uh center back of the future. What do you think about the possibility of bringing Mark Bartra back from from Dortmund? I would be definitely for that because um he's getting a lot of time now. He's the starter over there. Um he's uh you know the Bundesliga is definitely known for being a more physical aerial type of league where a lot of headers, a lot of this. So I think that Gave, gave him a little bit of toughness. So bringing him back, I think, would be a really good um, move for Barca. I really hope that he does come back because I definitely thought he had potential, and I just didn't think he got enough opportunity under Luis Enrique. Hashtag bring Mark back. Correct. Hashtag, how about uh, bring Mark Bartra's? How about bring Bartra back? Then it's like, all it's all it's alliterative. It's all three Bs. There you go. There you go. Three Bs. <laughs> yeah. There you go. I'm gonna post a picture of Bartra on Instagram with that hashtag. There you go. Hashtag BBB. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag BBB. Not the Better Business Bureau. <laughs> so okay, our next item here is uh it's always fun when you're making a podcast because the one of the easiest things to do on a podcast is complain. A really great way to just like put content in your podcast is to complain. It's fantastic because here's this great thing that we get to complain about. The short list for FIFA's the best, quote unquote, the best players and managers announced. I was reading uh, FIFA's sort of press release about how they've changed the name once their relationship with France football ended and it wasn't the FIFA Ballon d'Or anymore. They used to have the FIFA player of the year, but now they're calling it the best. And they actually said this, it's in order to use the language, the common language of, the, you know, how people talk now. 
So you can't just call it the best. I think you really have to say that these players are like the best. These are like the best players. Exactly. I don't know if I have it in my notes again, but I'll say it again. I don't like this. Uh, I think this is such a <laughs> this is such a a bullshit awards thing that it's just like, oh, let's just bring these players and have a dinner, a steak dinner, and that's about it. You know, like the way they get voted on is not nothing like scientific. You know, it's just I, I don't even know. But we'll go through them. So obviously, the best players we have: Ronaldo, Messi, Neymar, and again, like. The way they do the calendar year is so weird because it doesn't follow the season. You know what I'm saying? So, like, who's going to win? Yeah, so right there, it's already just weird. Exactly. So, obviously, Ronaldo won La Liga, right? I mean, he quote-unquote won the La Liga and Champions League. But Messi had more assists and goals. So, who is the best, right? Uh, of course, that's going to bring controversy. I think that Ronaldo's going to win because titles i think have more weight than those goals and assists well yeah and they should because that's what that's what the game is all about or that's what these competitions are all about and but that's ultimately what makes any of these individual awards especially ones that are voted on just total bullshit because it's a team sport and it's about team achievement and individual brilliance and greatness like within that is an important part that's part of what makes this such a, a fun sport to follow is that it's ultimately a team sport, but it, it allows for individual brilliance. But the these awards are just um, marketing tools for whoever is giving the award. Or I guess it, they're also marketing tools for the players who win them or, or who are nominated for them. But, you know, they're just, they're so antithetical to the game and what the whole idea of the game is. And especially when you vote on it, like the fact that people are just voting on who's the best player, it's it's all so subjective. And that's the whole point of the game is that like, no, it's not subjective anymore. Like we had a game that we won, you lost. <laughs> exactly. They never put like um, rules of what or requirements for this award. Like this happens. This is like was the biggest talk last season in the NBA. Who was the most valuable player? Westbrook or Harden? And it's totally subjective. And like this, if they just said the best player is defined as the most goals, most assists, you know, then obviously that would be a very clear cut way of doing it, but they're not going to do it. No, of course. So let's not. go through this. So <clears throat> I think I think Ronaldo's gonna win. What do you think? Yeah, I think Ronaldo's gonna win. But actually I wanna bring in actually a, a question that one of our listeners had for us. This came through Instagram from Don Marlin five oh three. He says uh, do you guys think Messi did enough last year to win the best player over Ronaldo and Neymar? If he continues with his current streak, I don't see what Ronaldo and Neymar can do to beat him. Or does Argentina's struggles make him second to Ronaldo? And I think that the obvious point here is that even though Messi's scoring and assisting stats outweigh Ronaldo's, Ronaldo was on the team that won La Liga and the Champions League for the second year in a row. That's where I think, like, if we're going to go through this list really quick... I think Real Madrid's going to sweep the awards because, again, they won the double. And also not only the double, but they won back-to-back -back Champions League. So that's the other thing that just kind of gives more weight to what they did that season. Uh, you know, it's a great question by Don Marlin, 503. Um, I just think, you know, obviously we're biased. You know, we, we see Messi all the time. We think he's, you know, the best player ever. 
with his assisting and not only with uh, creating goals, but also scoring goals. I just think that Ronaldo winning those leagues, uh, the league title and the Champions League is going to give him the nod over Messi. Yeah, absolutely. And then for the goalkeeper award, they have Neuer, Navas and Buffon. And I I think that you're probably right that Real Madrid is going to sweep this whole thing. Navas is going to take goalkeeper. And then they also have a best manager category. And the short list is Allegri, Conti and Zidane. And almost certainly Zidane's going to take that because what what is the measure of a manager but the award that the then the trophies you win exactly the trophies you win and also again it's the back to back Champions League that no other team has done right so Barcelona has come close and it's the most difficult thing that you could do right because there's so many obstacles and they were able to achieve that so again I just think that Real Madrid's going to uh, sweep those awards oh yeah absolutely so thanks for the question Don Marlin five hundred three um, also he left a a really nice review for us in in iTunes the other day. And so even though he did it before we're announcing our uh, premium video giveaway, we're going to include him in in the contest out of out of appreciation. I would say just to get back into the goalkeepers, that's a funny category to me because it seems like the goalkeeper category would probably be the easiest one possible to achieve. Like that because the goalkeeper is such a specialized position that you could actually without any controversy, say who was the better goalkeeper in this year. And it's real simple. How many goals did they allow? Whoever allowed the fewest goals, maybe maybe you want to divide that by appearances to come up with kind of an average. But whoever allowed the fewest goals was the best goalkeeper, right? Yeah, but then also, so how I would judge this is, did they all win the league title? Yes. Did they all win the Champions League title? No, Navas did. And I imagine that their goals against average, you know, divided by the average of the games, it's going to be very, very close. So I would obviously give it to Navas just because he was the Champions League uh, winning goalkeeper. Again, like I said, the Champions League has so much weight uh, in these award show because you're competing against the best of Europe, you know. So that's if you win that and you do well in that, you're most likely going to win the award. Well, let's move into responding to some listener comments and questions. We actually got a a good bit of them this week. And there's another one from Don Marlin 503 that we're going to bring up in a second. But first, let me bring in Marcin. He got in touch with us on Facebook. And this is bringing back an old old episode. Uh, He's referring to something that we uh, talked about in episode 43, I think. Uh, And he says, hi, guys. In one of the last episodes, you discussed Messi's influence over transfers at Barcelona. You made an analogy to Jordan winning as a player versus as an owner. And I'm not sure I agree with that comparison. Messi is still part of the team, and his chemistry with other players on the team is important, especially since he is the most important player there. Ibrahimovic didn't work out because of the lack of chemistry. Messi liking playing with someone or not can be a big plus to how the team performs. So this was my analogy that I I gave about Jordan uh, as a player as compared to an owner. This is such a difficult thing because you don't want to give the player so much power that when he starts declining, he still thinks he has that power to bring in players and it just doesn't work out with team chemistry. So obviously Messi can have uh, his say on who he thinks he will have chemistry with, but ultimately I think it's the manager and the board to bring those players in because they're responsible for the for the contract. And ultimately that's really important because – you know, that's going to either help or hinder the team in the future. So obviously, if, if Messi tells Valverde, I want you to bring Paulinho, then maybe they'll discuss and then they'll go forward with that. 
But if Messi just kind of gives his list and he says, you better bring these players or else, then that's where I kind of have the problem. I always think of like the NBA because like the NBA is very similar um, the way the superstars can run a team. So I always think of like Kobe Bryant, uh, Michael Jordan, like these type of players that were ultimate superstars that had so much influence on not only the team, the coach, but also personnel. And that's a really, you know, you want to give the superstar that type of power, but also it's difficult to take that power back. Well, yeah. And well, especially with the NBA and basketball, you know, you want to, you want to build a team around a sort of central core player. But uh, this is, I, I don't have all the facts to back this up, but I have heard, uh, I think it was on an episode of uh, Malcolm Gladwell's podcast where he was talking about how basketball is the kind of game because there's only five players and the size of the size of the playing field, the court is such that a superstar can make a huge impact. Like a really great player can make a huge impact on the team's performance. But soccer is just another or football is just another kind of game where actually you're going to have more benefits if you improve on your weakest players. If you just say, okay, who's our weakest player um, or who is not performing well in this position? How can we improve that position? If you do that, then you're going to increase your results. So it's the kind of game where you don't have to bring in superstars all the time. You don't have those aren't the ones who are going to have the biggest impact on your performance. In fact, bolstering weaker areas and just making them a little bit better is going to have much bigger returns. And frankly, I think we've seen that proven with Semedo coming in, right? Versus last year where Sergio Roberto was playing right back a lot of times, especially once Vidal got injured. Roberto was there pretty much every week, and he's out of position there. He does well going forward. We love seeing him go forward, but when he has to defend, he's weak there. And then you see Semedo, what he's doing. He's a much better replacement for Dani Alves. He defends well, and he gets forward well. And you could see how that brings the whole team up. Well, we're going to talk about that later. So, and But to get back to this question... I think that's a good point that Martin makes, but it's a question of degrees, right? We, of course, we want to know, Val Green wants to know, the directors want to know who Messi thinks he would play well with. But here's the funny thing, because this all surrounded the Coutinho thing. Has Messi ever played with Coutinho? I mean, Coutinho's Brazilian, Messi's Argentinian, he's probably played against him, but has he played with him? Does he, how does he even know? Also, we don't actually know how much power or influence Messi was exerting over that particular uh, attempt to sign Coutinho or anything. It was really all just conjecture put forward by this this columnist who I don't totally trust. Uh, but as a general topic, yeah, of course, we want to know what Messi would think about bringing in a particular player. But you have to still weigh that with a lot of other things. And it's a question of degree as to how important that becomes for the, the manager and the and the board. Yeah, so my, my main focus was just that even though you're the greatest player at a particular sport, you may not be good at personal decisions. That's all my analogy was more focused on. So, yeah, I, I totally agree with what you said. Um, I, you know, I'm, as we're going to talk about our next comments, um, you know, we were calling SOS in the summer about the personnel moves and so far they have been working very well. Yeah. But thank you very much, Marcin, for that, uh, for that question. And that, that was a good talk. Now, the next one, this, this actually wasn't so much uh, a message that any individual 
sent in. It was it was a whole exchange in uh, response to a, a pic I posted on Instagram. So right after the Ibar match, I posted a pic of Paulinho, and my com my initial comment was that uh, it turns out Paulinho was a good signing. Uh, two matches now, he's made a difference. And then in response to that, um, Juniper Jesus. <laughs> says uh paulinho turning out to be a steal at 40 million euros i don't know about that but we'll we'll see what happens and then purely barcelona says he was amazing today and then our old friend luke l level 13 says how good was it when he let the ball run to messi in the build-up to denny skull and we're going to talk about that for sure because that was a cool moment in response to that schnarfen i like that instagram handle schnarfen s-h-n-a-r-f-i-n Sure, he scored two in the last two matches, but he was kind of running forward towards the goal and leaving a lot of room in the midfield. Or is it that Val Green's plan for Paulinho to act as a decoy slash secondary striker to give Messi room in the center forward area? I don't know, but I'm glad he's at least putting the ball in the back of the net. And then finally, Meech04 says, Wouldn't say good just yet, but I am happy we didn't play Luis Suarez today. And it was just such a really fun exchange on, uh, on Instagram. For many reasons. One, we love listener engagement. Two, Val Green is really taking off. People are starting to use the hashtag Val Green. And uh, also, like uh, Meech's comment, little little shade, throwing a little shade on Luis Suarez. So, yeah, when I was reading all the comments, like I responded to Juniper Jesus, I just said, pump the brakes, right? Like, (laughs) yeah, it's it's two games. Uh, He did, he scored two goals. And especially in the Hitafe game, he gave us the game winner. But after watching... You know, we've now seen how many games? Six games? Yeah. For me, it's it's more apparent now that when we use uh, not the strongest team, that we're not going to go to a 4-3-3, which I think is great because we're not trying to put players who are not comfortable on the ball to play in a 4-3-3. So, for example, yesterday's game, we're recording this on Sunday, so yesterday's uh, game against uh, Hirona, they were in a 4-2-3-1. Val Green is now putting players in better position in this formation and asking them to do very basic things. And so Paulinho is looking good in that because he's not asked to tiki-taka, right? He's used to use his physicality, which is definitely surprising for me because I did not expect him to be as physical. But he's definitely a physical specimen, especially in the air and also the way he guards the ball as well. So for me, it's it's not so much now I'm kind of like, when I was thinking about this earlier today, I was like, okay, so Paulinho, or as I'm going to start calling him Paul, Paul, you know, he's been looking really good as you notice as well. I don't know if you noticed, but we're definitely doing more corner kicks in the area. We're not doing the short corners anymore. And I think we're just really, you know, using our players strengths. And that's really important to me that Val Green has brought to the table. Cause last year against uh, Hirona, Luis Enrique probably would have used a 4-3-3 with that same lineup, and we would have looked awful, right? We would have looked awful. We may have not, may have got a not even a point, maybe. But I really enjoy or looking at how Val Green has really adapted his tactics to what he has. So again, maybe you know after we did the SOS message in the summer, you know our depth may not be that bad, and with the tactics that Val Green is using, especially with Paul. It's definitely looking good for the season. Yeah, I like to call him Polly because it makes me think of Rocky. You know, uh, Rocky's uh, deadbeat brother-in-law works at the meatpacking house. Hey, Polly, just makes me think about you know how he's a bum. 
he's always going to be a bum. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we're both taking kind of a wait-and-see <laughs> attitude to Paulie, to Paulie. We're happy with what we've seen so far, and uh, we hope he continues to do that. And as long as he's allowed to use his physicality, as long as he's not expected to play Tiki-Taka and have a super fine first touch, then he'll, as, as long as he gets to do what he's good at, then I think he'll he'll keep giving us what we need i can't i can't i can't remember um the last time we had a midfielder that was as physical as paulinho i mean it's it's you can drastically see it like the way he's able to push off defenders it's incredible and maybe keita uh i can't even think that far behind i mean i can't remember uh you you see him in the air he's a pre- i mean he's now we have pk and paulinho which is a nice thing and umtiti you know so now we have three threats in the box and like when I used to play, I used to hate, hate, hate defending corner kicks because it was such chaos, right? And every time they would do the short corner, I understood why they did it. But I always just, you know, like Real Madrid, you know, you just throw it in there. You never know what you're going to get. You know, you may get a junk goal. A goal is a goal. Yeah, absolutely. So thanks to everyone for all those comments. We really appreciated them. That that was fun. All right. There is one more uh, message that we got. This is back to Don Marlin 503 from Instagram again, uh, and, and it's going to lead us nicely into the next segment. He's talking about how Barcelona has a seven-point lead over Real Madrid, and he's saying that this is Barcelona's title to lose. And his question is, do you see any games where an upset might happen? Uh, yes. And so just for clarity, like, <laughs> and just for like clarification, he's, yeah, uh, he's talking about how Barca's seven points ahead of Real Madrid, who we assume is eventually going to pick up more points, and the title race will be between those two like it always is, even though at the moment, Atletico are only four points behind Barcelona. I mean, yeah, I mean, this is, you know, La Liga's a marathon, you know, we have, you know, we haven't even got into the Copa del Rey part of the of the schedule as well. So, you know, this is, um, you know, it's a good uh, uh, lead that we're developing right now, which is great. Uh, the thing that I love the most is that he's using the squad right now, right? Because once we hit February, he's not going to change the squad as much because those games are going to be more important. He's, you know, those games we need to win and he's going to run his horses to the end on those. So it's important now just to ease those players in and use the squad. So Don Marlin 503, it's a marathon. You know, it's really great that we built this lead because now it gives us some space if we lose or tie a game here or there because you know it's going to happen. You know, the teams in La Liga are really good, and especially when we play, uh, for example, at Malaga, uh, at Sevilla, at Atletico, these type of games, at Real Madrid. You know, you never know what's going to happen. Obviously, we're always hoping that they're going to win, but they can't win every game. And I'm just looking at last year's table. And, uh, you know, Real Madrid won the league uh, by three points, and they drew six matches and lost three. Barcelona drew six matches and lost four. And currently, Real Madrid is, you know, down there at the moment in fourth place, and they've already drawn two games and lost one. So they're already on their way towards, you know, about the kinds of numbers that they hit last year. They're probably not going to be terribly different than they were this year. And luckily, Barcelona is... Six for six right now. Six games, six wins. The only team now in La Liga to have had a perfect season so far. But it's only six weeks in at the same time. So you know that Real Madrid is going to step up. You know that Barcelona is going to drop points eventually somewhere. You know, has anyone ever had a perfect season in La Liga? I don't think so. It's just such a, like you were saying, it's a marathon. It's such a marathon that there's just hardly any way that's ever going to happen. So the ones that I would be looking at, um, we've talked about this previously, about how the away games are going to be the tough ones. 
Um, and specifically, I think Malaga and maybe Villarreal, when we're playing in their fields, could be the upsets. Yeah, because, you know, when we play at home at the Camp Nou, we have the widest field, right? Because that's we use that space to our advantage. So even if we field uh, a B squad, we're so used to playing that style. So that always gives us a severe advantage. Now, the opposite happens. In Villarreal, it's a tight field. And Malaga, the field is not as quick. So these type of things don't play into Barca's hands. So those are why those games are always going to be more difficult for Barcelona. Yeah, and of course, they can't win every game. And they really haven't even played the toughest opposition yet. Uh, They've had a really easy start to the year. I mean, you know, Real Madrid lost to Betis uh, last week, which was fantastic. And you wouldn't have expected that. But you know, those things happen. And in the Bernabeu even, which was even better for us. But in any case, you know, Barcelona have had a pretty easy start to this season, which is good because we had to retool after losing Neymar and sort of find some solutions. And luckily, they've been playing some not so tough opposition. And that's given them the time to get their game together a little bit more. And when they have the when they have the main 11, and I think at this point we really know who the main 11 are, we're actually looking very, very threatening. So that's that's all good news. But yeah, I would be looking at Malaga. I'd be looking at Villarreal. Um, I, I don't, I'm not sure that like Atletico would be considered an upset. That's a pretty even matchup, you know? Valencia even would be considered kind of an even matchup. Yeah, I mean, like, like we talked about last time, when these teams play against Barcelona, it's their Super Bowl. They want to match up and show, you know, a bigger audience of what they can do individually. So, you know, those are going to be tough. I look at the Villarreal because that field is so tight. Um, that's going to be a difficult match for Barca. All right. Well, thanks again, Don Marlin 503 for all your uh, questions, comments, and all your support. We really appreciate it. So uh, let's just do a general recap of La Liga over the last week. Uh, again, as we mentioned, Real Madrid lost one nothing to Betis. And I'm saying this with a huge smile on my face because the goal came from former La Masia kid Antonio Sanabria. That was pretty cool. And then at the weekend, um, Real Madrid were playing Alaves. They scored first, Real Madrid did. Then Alaves got level with uh, a goal that came from a really beautiful cross from Munir, who now that he's on loan to Alaves is uh, getting some minutes with them, and he's looking pretty good with them. But uh, Ceballos put Real ahead just a couple of minutes later, and then Madrid took that win. So, you know, they have a slow start, but, you know... You raise an interesting question. Uh, Does Real Madrid even care about La Liga? I mean, usually they don't. You know, they usually their main focus is always Champions League first, then La Liga second. They may publicly say La Liga, but I, I mean, obviously with their track record at Champions League, it's it's that's usually their main focus. It's more prestigious for them. Uh, They make more money through that. So, you know, it's almost like they kind of already like they're using this as their preseason right now to really gear up for the Champions League campaign. For me, I you know, we'll see how they how they fare at the by December and how how many points they're behind Barcelona or what happens and then from there it'll dictate how they treat La Liga. So they've had a slow start, but yeah, they're going to be focusing on the Champions League and I mean, talk about thing competitions they don't really care about the Copa del Rey is like nothing to Real Madrid. They could care less if they win that. Yeah, exactly. And also, you know, it's just especially in the beginning, you're playing these small towns and they usually just ship their C team, you know, <laughs> because they know they're going to win. And if if anything, if they just get a tie or they lose, they know they can win at home. So, um, you know, 
they don't care about Copa del Rey. And Barcelona doesn't really care either. It's just that we do well in it. So we just we just win it, you know. If we we just we just play the matches that are in front of us. Now also, uh Sevilla were keeping up pretty well. Um they were only 2 points behind Barcelona, but at the weekend they lost to Atletico, who are now in in second place, uh 4 points behind Barcelona. Um, but now I assumed that Sevilla would drop some more points as the year goes on. But I still think that Sevilla is a side to watch. And of course, you have to keep your eye on Atletico. So what about those two teams? Yeah, I mean, definitely like the last four years, Sevilla has finished in the top four. So they're definitely always a team to watch. Um, again, they have a new manager, a new squad, but they're still producing at a high level. Um, again, when we play at Sevilla, it's always a tough match for us. Uh, with Atletico Madrid, they're going to get Diego Costa in the winter. They always play great to good defense. They're really physical. They're the street fighters of La Liga. So they're going to be up there. Um, they're also getting better and better with each match. So they always start pretty slow. I think just because they're grinders, you know, you just kind of like, they're almost like boxers, right? So it's like the first two rounds, they're just kind of feeling out, you know, their team and what's going on. And then they really get into a groove. And I saw the highlights of that match, the Sevilla and Atletico. And Atletico was physical. Played great defense, and of course, they just needed a couple opportunities, and they made those count. Well, so that's the general sort of uh, situation in La Liga. But let's let's review the two matches that happened this this last week, uh, both in La Liga. First against against Ibar at the Camp Nou uh, last Tuesday. Brilliant result, six to one. Messi with a hat trick plus one. I don't know what to call that. It's almost like let's call it a baker's hat trick. Uh, then uh, Denis gets one, and and Paulinho gets one. Okay, so I, you know, it was um, an overall just really great performance. Um, they started a little bit slow, but you know, once they got that first goal, it was kind of downhill from there. Um, obviously, Semedo got the start. He got the penalty on the first goal. Got the penalty call. It was a really great give and go on that play. Um, Delafeo played. Um, he he looked really strong. You know, the one thing I really like about Delafeo is he always plays really good defense on the pressing. But like I have here on my notes, he is a little bit too loose with the ball. He lost the ball a lot of times trying to do that same move that he always does. And he just needs to keep the ball closer to him or do another move. Right. So either he needs to practice that move more or he needs to try a different move. I mean, you saw the defense. They just took out their foot and they got the ball all the time for the most part. So, you know, in the second half, they were able to do um, they were much more dangerous on the counterattack. They converted on those goals. And again, this was a big um, rotation. You know, we had the the game. It was, this was two days after Hitafe. So we have here, you know, um, Semedo was back. Um, we had Mascherano for Mtiti, Digni for Alba, Paulinho for Rakitic. And of course, we had Dennis Suarez up there uh, for Dembele. So again, um, you know, it was, I liked the way um, Val Green has been managing the team early. Um, putting players in great positions to not uh, screw up too much and also be productive and get mo- uh, maximum points. Yeah, well, and in general, I, we've mentioned this already, but to reiterate the point, uh, the way that Valverde is managing his side so that he has them set up and in a formation that takes advantage of the strengths of the players that he's using is a uh, it's almost, again, it's almost like he knows how to manage a squad. Yeah, it's interesting. And it's also interesting, too, because if you watch his, um, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, the way he, his uh, body language on the sideline, like, he just he just looks like he's in complete control. Like, he just 
kind of just manages. He's not yelling at the ref. He's not yelling at players. Um, one thing that Val Green really brings to the table is his communication skills. He's really a great communicator to his team. Um, he lets them know uh, what I've read the last couple weeks, too, is that that's one of the great skills that he has is his ability to communicate with his players, which on the contrary was Luis Enrique, who never spoke to the players, really. Um, so, yeah, so Val Green just looking like a genius, pushing the right buttons. And I like it because, you know, when all these players are involved and they're getting confidence – and they're plugged in, then that just helps the overall team environment as a whole. Like everyone's pulling for each other, everyone's getting minutes, everyone's playing, everyone's being successful, and it's just a really great environment to be a part of. Yeah, and everyone's feeling good, and especially when you're also getting wins out of that, you, it just starts uh, building up on itself. Like in music, we would we would call that resonance or like kind of a feedback loop. Uh, I believe you. well yeah you know it's like when one good thing happens it affects it it causes a chain reaction and then it just starts to build upon itself and then it just becomes like its own entity and that's also why we're really happy that they've had such a strong opening for this year is that ideally you know that's just gonna continue to motivate them forward and everyone's feeling good and they're playing well you know i guess the main thing is i i again i really like delafeu and i like all the things about him that you like um, I just wish he would actually just kind of relax a little bit because I think he's just he's just stressed out. Yeah, I mean, he's pressing, right? I mean, he wants to do well. Um, the manager wants him to do well. We as Kool-Aids want him to do well because he's from La Masia. He kind of feels like, you know, he's our own. Um, but again, he'll get there just with more time playing with Suarez and Messi. Um, again, here I also have in my notes just the more corner kicks that they did in the area, obviously on the Paul goal, um, just a solid header. Uh, unsavable and as you can see that Paul is very difficult to defend in the air yeah yeah he's a real threat and yet another threat so okay let's do man of the match who was your man of the match so my man of the match was Semedo you um, took him you know, you t- I know I took him um, with every pressing game now you know passing game he's getting more confidence and like we talked about it's just he just makes that right side click you know um, you never have a fear about someone getting past him or someone bullying him off the ball. He makes the right reads, the right passes, um, just overall just getting better and better. Um, and also, you know, like, you know, we got some messages about him not playing in last night's match. And, um, you know, I just think that Val, Val Green is doing a really good job of just easing him in, getting him confidence, and he's just going to, you know, eventually in the spring, he's going to play more because he's obviously part of our strongest squad. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he clearly he's the number one right back. But yeah, Val Green is making these decisions because he knows that Girona is not going to be the toughest opponent. So even if we put Sergio Roberto in there, who's a little bit weaker on defense, you know that he's not going to have to work that hard to defend that often. And sure enough, that that worked out. I mean, it's always a gamble, I guess, when you put a slightly less um, impressive player in a position. Um, and I only say that Roberto is less impressive in that position. I love Roberto in midfield. It's just that when he's on right back, you know, he he suffers because he's not the, the greatest defender. And But Semedo's legs, man, like not only his ability to track back and defend, but how he won that penalty. He won that penalty, but with his speed and his like explosive speed, because it was he was just a few steps off, but he managed to get to the ball that he should not have been able to get to. And he earned that penalty. You know why he got that penalty? Because he hustled. 
Okay, my mom would <laughs> my mom would be proud of that, right? Like he maybe when he was a kid, his mom was like, "Hustle, yeah, hustle, Nelson." Yeah, yeah. And so you know, on that play that exemplified, he didn't, he didn't. You weren't sure if he was going to get the ball, but he got himself in that position, and the defender had no choice but to push him. So, so really great hustle by Semedo. Uh, who was your man of the match? I got to go with Paulie. Oh, I, we should mention for anyone who's uh, new to the show. Uh, we have named Messi as all-time man of the match. He is enshrined in the canon of Barcelona Saints, and he is just man of the match for all time. Even after he retires, he'll be man of the match for every match. So when we name man of the match, we we choose other players besides Messi. So obviously Messi scored you know four goals in this game, and he's clearly the uh, the man of the match, but that's a given. So I'm going to talk about Pauli. You know, I thought he was a bum. Turns out he's not a bum. Not not entirely, at least. And you know, it occurred to me during this game, because he had a really good game uh, against Ibar, um, that haters, I think if, if haters are really fans of the club, then they actually want to be silenced. They want to be proven wrong, in, ultimately. Now, the thing about Paulie is, he's not always going to give great performances, I don't think. But in this match, he was in the right place at the right time, and making all the right decisions a lot of the time in that game. So you, Gabriel, or anyone might still be a naysayer to Paulie, but you have to admit he was involved in a lot of success of that match. And you got to hand it to him on that dummy. So 52nd minute, he lets the ball run through his legs to Messi, which set up the shot, which was then saved, but rebounded for Dennis, and, and Dennis got got his goal and I should give honorable mention to Dennis because because on that goal Dennis was just creeping in unmarked you know on the far post and when he got the ball when it came out to him he knew he had time so he picked out his shot put it away so beautifully had great composure so you got to hand it to Dennis on that one also yeah so Paul definitely had a strong game in 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 that match Um, his link up play with Messi is evident you know, I don't know if it's just the natural Brazilian flair he has of just instinct to let, you know, like, especially on that, that dummy run. Um, you know, like I said, when we signed Paul, it was the two things for me. It was the amount of money that we signed him. Well, actually three things. The amount of money that we signed him, his age, and also he didn't fit our style. But obviously we're seeing how he's going to be incorporated into the match. So when he's in the match, we're, we're probably not going to be in a strong 4-3-3. We'll be more in a 4-2-3-1, which is great because it just uses his strength, his physicality, the way he just is more direct, these type of things. And he's not afraid to shoot, which for me is always a positive. So as we saw in the Hitafe game with that, uh, with that great shot. So again, uh, I want him to do well because I want Barca to win and to be successful. So, uh, you know, but at the same time, I don't think, um, you know, it's still early in the campaign. I'm going to support him because he's on my team. So keep doing what you're doing, Paul. Yeah, exactly. Keep it up, Paulie. So then on Saturday, we had a Catalan Derby. Uh, Barcelona went to Girona, about an hour south of Barcelona, played in the Montelivi Stadium and uh, took a nice win out of that. Three nothing. Uh, so that was it was really cool. Very exciting for the Girona fans, especially because this is the first time that the two teams have met in La Liga ever, because Girona has been in the second or third division of Spanish football for most of their existence. They're a very old club, actually, but this is, I think, one of the first times that they've been in 
the the top division. So it was a, a real first for a lot of people. And a bunch of people were going super crazy over the squad list. Not just the lineup, but but just the squad list. But we here at the show, we trust Val Green. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of, you know, I saw the squad come out. And, you know, now we have a good sample size of how he's going to run the team right now. I, I definitely think he's going to stick with his strongest 11, you know, post-March, post-April, this type of thing. But for now, he's giving a lot of players opportunities making sure they get, um, as we say, enchufado, plugged in, um, into the system and getting confidence. And so, you know, for example, a lot of people were screaming, I can't believe Semedo is not playing. But again, giving Sergio Roberto, Sergio Roberto is a very, you know, decent right back. And especially against Hirona, he he played really well. And the other thing that he did is he put Vidal at the top right as a winger, which I think is a really great move because Vidal is fast He's very creative at the top. He works well. Obviously, he had a um, a say into the second goal, but he's not a defensive liability when he's playing up top, which I think is key. You know, put again, put him in situations where he's going to be the most successful. And again, I think he played really well. He just needs to work on his goddamn crossing. I just it drives me crazy because these guys are professional football players. He should be practicing just going down the right corner, cutting back, cross. Going, you know, just doing that like 50 times, you know, just so it's like second nature. He got blocked so many times. He looks like he's left-footed on the right side. And and, and so, yeah. Um, again, another thing I have here is the varied attack. Um, just going over the top, you know, through balls, corner runs, everything, which I think is magnificent for me because, again, when other teams see this on tape, now they're like, oh, my gosh, they're not just going to possess the ball all the way to the front doorstep and then try to score. The other thing too, though, unfortunately, there was a lot of offsides in the first half. I think just because that team hadn't played uh, a full game together, they were trying to, you know, deal with that chemistry. But eventually, in the second half, they were able to figure that out and to have uh, more opportunities and less offsides. Yeah, they had fewer offsides in the second half. So, how much of that do you think it was um, sort of like lack of communication on Barcelona's side or uh, mistakes on Barcelona's side, and how much was it that? Girona were actually holding their line really well. I thought they were just doing a good job holding their line. I actually think it was none of it. I think it was more um, them not used to reacting as fast and playing the balls faster. So they just had to play the ball faster as opposed to looking and seeing the play develop and then passing. They just had to rely on that instinct that Messi was going to make that run. Suarez was going to make that run. They were kind of looking up, seeing it, and it was already too late instead of just trusting the system. So I think I think in the second half, obviously at halftime, probably Val Green mentioned that. Just throw it up there. You know, they're going to make the run. Just trust the trust the process, and that's what they did. And so obviously in the second half, they had uh, more opportunities, less offside. So I think that was the, uh, the adaptation they had to make. Yeah. Now, the funny thing about this match is that uh, Barcelona won three to nothing, but two of those goals are officially own goals. Yeah, but you know, there's always a process that leads to those own goals. They weren't just horrible mistakes on Girona's part. They were things that would have probably been goals anyway, but they they were officially own goals. Yeah, again, so let's let's take the first one. The first one was a corner kick taken by Messi, swung out to Alba. Alba, you know, uh, volleyed it and it ricocheted and went in. The second one, the second own goal was Vidal making a really great run to the right. He backheeled it, and uh, with Suarez being the traffic in front, it owned gold. And then your boy, 
your boy that you love, Sid Lowe, had a really great tweet. It said, uh, Hirona scored two goals and they're losing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was really great. It's, it's an, it's an excellent tweet. Um, but also on that Vidal, uh, run where, um, Iraisos was credited with the own goal. How about, it wasn't just a back heel. It was a back heel nutmeg. You know, if you watch that again, you know, like I, you know, I, I believe he has an idea of what he's going to do, but he also looks out of control, right? He kind of like looks like, he doesn't know what he's doing. He kind of looks like he's on skates and then he does it and it kind of works, you know, and he's kind of like surprised by it. So those are the things that like Delafeu, um, Vidal need to work on is just getting more confidence going to the end line, either cutting back or making a really uh, dangerous cross and finding someone. Once that happens, they're going to have so many more opportunities because with Messi flooding into the middle, Suarez coming into the middle – they're going to have so many more opportunities. Yeah. Well, now, do you think that maybe the whole like looking crazy um, aspect of Vidal's game might actually be somewhat deliberate? Kind of like, you know, uh, the wild man theory, like Nixon's foreign policy a- attitude. It's like, I'm so crazy. You don't know what I'm going to do. So it's like kind of trying to like, confuse defenders with a sort of wild man attitude. Well, I mean, you know, I'm a body language expert. So let's <laughs> say like, uh, I would say like, Looking at him, I would say it's unintentional. I just think that he he looks like he's out of control. But maybe it's part of his his scheme. Maybe it's part of his plan. But uh, yeah, I I just think it's just more practice playing up top like that. He's just going to get better. I hope that this week Delafeu and Vidal are just working on those crosses because if you watch that match, they got him blocked so many times and it was so frustrating because it's like that's your only job as a winger like that. You just have to make really good decisions. Either cross it up high, cut it back, or cut it back yourself and make a move, you know? So Yeah. And it's a it's a real shame that your skills of body language mastery are not being utilized. You're what you're wasting your skills teaching English right now. It's it's a real shame. Yeah, maybe I should send my C V to Barcelona and just do like a you know, apply for a body language expert for their team so I can tell them if they're fit or not fit. Yeah, they probably have that. <laughs> but then also the third goal came from Suarez. This was a proper goal. You know, Suarez hasn't scored a whole lot, and he also had that injury. Um, but he finally broke his duck, as you, as some might say. I mean, I don't know. I, I think people worry a lot when Suarez isn't scoring a lot. But the fact is, he, you know, that happens with him. He goes through these these little droughts. They're usually not very long, and then he starts scoring. He starts feeling better. But uh, the goal came also from a really nice assist from Sergio Roberto. Yeah, Sergio Roberto picked him out on a long ball. Um, you know, it was kind of like a semi counterattack. And um, Suarez had a uh, decent first touch. It kind of almost got away from him. And then he was able to slot it pack, past the goalkeeper. Um, I don't worry about Suarez because Suarez does so much more than just scoring. He occupies that space. He's physical. He's hard to defend. He makes those run. I just wish sometimes he was not as offsides as often. I think that's really something he lacks um, still as a professional striker and being an elite striker. Um, next time, if you're watching, if you play the Suarez offside game, look out because every time he's offside, you take a drink, you may not make it past halftime because he, oh, he, yeah, you're going to end up hammered. I feel like he never pays attention to his backside, like the, the line behind him, but, uh, that's for another podcast. But again, I think he, I think he'll, he'll, he'll get his confidence here. Um, Val Green talked about it, that he wasn't worried and he was glad that Suarez got the goal that hopefully that'll just, uh, lead to other goals in the future matches. Yeah. Now let's bring it back to Vidal because uh, you were you were talking a lot about him, but uh, he's also your man of the match for this particular game, right? 
Yeah, so he's my man of the match. Um, though, you know, the crossing drove me crazy. I think he provided um, such a really good presence. I think um, Val Green putting him in that position, again, just putting him in a successful role. Um, he gave space for the attack. Um, he was also responsible for the second goal with that nutmeg. Uh, back heel pass, which was pretty crazy. Um, so I think overall he had a really great game. Um, again, using that right corner is just creating space all around. And that, I think, what we were missing for the last two years. Um, I mean, you just noticed, like, even though um, Messi was man-marked this match and he kind of um, had a little bit of an issue trying to break free a couple times, um Though we had that presence in the right corner, we were able to really have a, a good attacking presence throughout the game. So, who was who was your man of the match? Sergio Roberto, he, my man. Uh, I love Sergio Roberto. So, my thoughts on this are that you know, despite having played right back most of last season, and it looks like he's probably going to continue to do that at least some of the time uh, when Val Green wants to rotate Semedo out. Every time he's at right back he's a little bit out of position. So you have to take that into consideration when you're assessing his performance when he's playing it right back. But his run and pass to Suarez for that third goal was absolutely brilliant. Not just the vision to do it, but the run that he did to get into that little bit of space he was in, uh, the vision to spot Suarez, and just the weighting of the pass was absolutely perfect. You know, I don't think you can beat that. Um, And then there's this other moment that if anyone, if, if anyone still has the game like recorded, you can watch it again. Go to like the 40th minute in the first half, and there's this awesome combination with Messi. And then Sergi sort of sent the ball into some open space, and he was going to run into it. And he had Benitez beat, absolutely. And Benitez knew it, and he's the captain. So he just took Roberto down, just absolutely took him down, and he took a booking for it. You know, because that's how intelligent Sergi is. And he has speed, he has skill, and... Uh, Again, he's playing a little bit out of position, so he doesn't exactly shine so much. But you got to look at those those moments where he's doing good things, and they're they're such good things. So he was my man of the match for this one. I mean, I think. I mean, who do you have more confidence in, Sergio Roberto or Vidal as a backup right back? Well, at this point, I'd have to say Roberto. Exactly, me too. Right. So um, the way Val Green used this lineup, you know, Sergio Roberto is really great on the ball. He makes amazing passes. The way he possesses his first touch. Obviously, he doesn't have the speed and physicality of Semedo, but you'll live with it, you know, against a match like this against Girona where their attack isn't as stellar as some other teams. So I think it's brilliant how Val Green is using Roberto, and I think also he's going to use Roberto in the midfield for other matches as well, so maybe to give Rakitic a spell. Um, you know, to play in the middle like that. So, you know, Sergio Roberto is a very flexible player. And I think that's where he's going to get a lot of his playing time, either on right back or in midfield or even at the right wing sometimes. So, again, I love Sergio Roberto. Um, I think it's really uh, amazing how he's taken to this role of being multifaceted in different roles. It's very difficult, you know, because he wants to play. He wants to play for Barcelona and Barcelona is asking him to do a lot. But I think going forward, I think him playing right back like this to give Semedo a spell is the best option. And having Vidal play up front so that the defense uh, isn't, uh, you know, his defense isn't liable up the, up, up, up at top. Yeah, and also when he's playing that right side combination of Sergio Roberto on right back and Vidal as sort of a right wing, um, that actually is creating a situation where Sergio Roberto is going to get forward and he's going to effectively be playing midfield, which is where he's most comfortable and where he's most effective. It's just when he has to track pack and defend, you know, he gives it his all. He tries his best because he's a, a fierce competitor. Uh, and so, like, you know, he loses 
a step here and there. Maybe he doesn't read an attack quite as brilliantly as you'd hope. But like you were saying, against a team like this, yeah, you can live with it because he's going to get forward and he's going to make good things happen. And you also have Vidal doing the winger thing, but also he was tucking into the center. Like Girona's whole defensive situation was very compact. It didn't have a lot of width, which is good, right? Because they can see that Barcelona are trying to go up the middle. So they were crunching in to the middle, but then that opened up all kinds of space on the sides. And that actually allowed Alba on the left and Sergio Roberto and Vidal on the right to get forward. And when they come when they come out to cover that, that's when those spaces were opening up. So I, it turned out to be a really good, really good situation. Yeah, and, and Hirono was playing almost like a box in one, like you do in basketball situation, where they man marked Messi the whole match. They were just trying to take him out. And when that happens, you're gonna have space in the corners because you're basically taking one of your defenders out. Now that's that's how I would de- like if I were a team, I would defend it that way. And you live with Vidal trying to do something, you know, you try to take Messi out and try to frustrate him, just always having someone around him. But obviously, Barcelona has such depth in their strike force that they're able to get these three goals and pull the victory out. Yeah, absolutely. And I got to take my hat off to Pablo Maffeo um, on loan from Man City to Girona. He he marked the shit out of Messi. He, he did a great job frustrating him, nipping at his heels, giving him all kinds of problems. And uh, he didn't render him, you know, completely ineffective, but he had enough of an effect to where you know, Messi didn't score any goals. Yeah, I mean, that was the first time he's kind of uh, had that defense again against him in a while. I don't think most teams would do that because they don't want to sacrifice such attack on them, right? Because when you take uh, your that player out, you're basically um, have a disadvantage number-wise on defense. But I think I, that's how I would defend Messi, just have some guy constantly in his back pocket because – you're not going to pass to him as often if there's someone sticking to him as much. Easier said than done. Yeah, absolutely. So looking ahead to the week, uh, there's another two matches, one in the Champions League and another in La Liga. So on Tuesday, Barcelona is going to Lisbon to play Sporting CP in the uh, Champions League group stage. And actually, a buddy of mine, I was talking to uh, my buddy Connor this week, he made a pretty bold claim about the Champions League. He said, I think Juventus is not going to make it out of the group. Wow, that's that is a pretty bold statement. I don't know what he's basing that on, but uh, yeah, he's calling he's calling this group to be um, Barcelona to win it and then uh, Sporting to take second. So, what do you think about this match? Anything we need to be looking out for? Worried about? I definitely think he's going to roll out a stronger team. I think he's going to bring out his strongest eleven, especially since it's at away and it's at Sporting. Sporting's a decent team, you know. They, I think, last year they got out of the group stage, so they're they're a pretty strong team. Um, they have a lot of great fan support. The stadium, uh, you know, supports them completely. It's a difficult place to play, but I definitely think we should be able to get the points and still be on top of the group. Yeah, I think Semedo is definitely going to start, and that explains why Sergio Roberto was playing right back against Girona, so that Semedo could be in for the uh, sporting match. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, like we talked about the squad rotation, I almost treat, the, you know, right now, the beginning of the season should be treated almost like um, like a track team, you know? You don't need to go full force right now. You can ease the team, especially since we're winning. I mean, why not? You know, we have this lead. Um, it gives us a space. And I think, like I said, especially for Champions League, because we want to be at the top of the table, because that'll give us the advantage going forward. We're going to, I, I, I would assume that Val Green is going to roll out his strongest 11. Yeah, absolutely. And Busquets will probably be starting and Rakitic won't have to cover that position. Rakitic will mostly be starting also and he'll be doing his normal thing, playing more on the right midfield, moving uh, more attacking and looking forward. Now, 
on, then on Saturday in La Liga, uh, this is at the Camp Nou, Las Palmas is going to be visiting Barcelona uh, on Sunday, um, and I, probably this should be another victory, right? Yeah, again, and then this is at uh, this is at home, or yeah, this is at home. So again, I think that'll just give Barca the advantage, and again. I think that Val Green is going to use the squad rotation for this match because Las Palmas isn't as strong as they were last year. Last year, they had a more dynamic attacking team. They gave Real Madrid a fit at the Bernabeu. Um, but I think, again, it should be another victory. Obviously, um, you know, playing at home, playing with that space of the Camp Nou, um, we should be able to get those three points. Now, do you think uh, we're going to see Sergi Samper play against Barcelona uh, in a Las Palmas jersey on Sunday? Um, I think so. I, I, you know, I, sometimes you have those clauses in your contract where you can't play against your home team, but I think he doesn't have that. I think he will play. So, and I'm interested to watch him to see how he plays against you know really superior competition as Barca and him trying to drive the attack for Las Palmas. Yeah, and if he does play, I would think he he'll probably do his best to sort of show the Barcelona people like, look, this is what I got. This is what you're missing out on here. Yeah, exactly. You know, you know, he's going to try to step up his game. You know, he's got his friends and family probably coming to the game and so forth. And he probably definitely wants to put his best foot forward. Um, I'm, you know, I hope he starts because I'm curious to see how he plays. And I'm, you know, just want to see if he has the potential for to be on the Barca. It, again, if he does play, I hope he does play. I hope he plays well. I hope he does well. But I hope Las Palmas loses. I concur. Yeah, it's a very nuanced, nuanced situation. <laughs> That's it, folks. Thank you so much for listening. This was a bit of a long one. It was a lot of fun. Um, be sure to give us your comments, questions, topics you'd like us to discuss. Uh, visit us at barsatalk.net, and you can call our phone line to hear your own voice on the show. The number is 716-795-2853. And do not forget to rate and review on iTunes for a chance to get a one-year subscription to FC Barcelona's premium video on us. For now, this is Barca Talk. I am Brian Henderson. I am Gabriel Quiroga. Thank you for listening. You'll hear back from us next week. Visca Barca. Visca Barca. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.